Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast where we air old episodes of Car Talk and replace every RPM with an RPG. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. Today we'll be talking about game mechanics and introducing our first annual New Year, New Game, Game Jam. Can you believe that we have done 41 episodes of this show? <laughs> Honestly, not really. Like it is it, it is just crazy that we've been doing this for this will be our our this is our we'll be going into our third calendar year yeah. and our second we're still in our second year of doing the podcast. I think we started in April. I think um, so. Oh no, we yeah, yeah, I think we started in April. Something yep. like that. Um because episode 50-something will be our two years. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So we're 41 episodes in, and uh, here we are. It's December again. Yeah, which means we have uh, our traditional break that we call Data Cap Month. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's it's just become... <laughs> it started as a Data Cap thing and is now a just a kind of a, a network holiday Um so we're going to take off the week of December 26th, uh, yeah, basically the, the Christmas holiday week. We really didn't want to take it off, uh, but the network executives just just got on us about it. <laughs> and uh, we're very sorry that this is happening because if it was up to us, we would not take the week off. But <laughs> those network executives. Yeah, screw yeah. those guys. But uh, it gives us a week off. It gives well, it gives us more than a week off. But it gives us a, uh, a, a a time to not worry about the podcast. Time to go spend time with our family. Time for you to spend time with your family, the listeners, and um, and it gives us a time to sort of like reevaluate how things are going. Um, do a kind of business meeting type stuff that we need to do. Yeah, and then come back stronger in the new year. And it also lets us kind of just have the very important spiritual observance of the month where gaming groups go to die. And <laughs> yeah. remember games games long past that have faded away because of too many family obligations. Yeah. Yeah, think of it as honoring that. Mm-hmm. So this episode, you are listening to this episode, uh, dear listener, on Tuesday, December the 12th. Um, because our- you definitely download it right away and listen to it first before any other podcasts. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, the episode that would go up on December 26th will be skipped. Um, and then, so the next episode of Stop, Pack, and Roll that will go up will be on January 9th. Yes. That also gives us a little bit of time because we have a new little project that we want to do. We mm-hmm. want to, we're going to talk more about this later, but there is going to be a game jam. So that gives yep. us some time to work on our own stuff for it and help people out with it, hopefully, and just kind of be in contact with folks and then get an episode together that will really be able to highlight those games. That episode on the ninth that we come back to will be an episode where we talk about the games that people submitted, talk about the games that we wrote for the game jam and kind of just like get back in touch and, and uh, explore what people wrote and kind of dive yeah. into that. I'm excited. Uh, and uh, then we've got some other just like business things that we want to cover over that break, uh, including what a lot of you have probably already heard about with Patreon and some of its restructuring that's going on. 
yeah. So hopefully everyone who is 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 currently backing us on Patreon uh, was made aware of this. Uh, I tweeted about it. I talked to some people about it in the Discord. Patreon emailed you. Um, and, and we're going to send so, a follow-up message as well before charges go through. Yep, and they're kind of just restructuring the way they do their charges in a way that is not super great for people who are giving like $1, $2 uh, donations. Um, and so I guess I kind of just wanted to say right now that like we, I, I, I've been waiting to make an official statement um, on behalf of our podcast about it because I wanted to wait and see if they would roll it back or if they would uh, explain themselves further. And they've done a little bit of that and and they still may give us an option um, and I haven't seen too many people leave so far. Um, but if you do need to reevaluate your, your backing levels based off of new information and the new changes, uh, we understand that totally. Um, and, uh, and moving forward, we'll kind of just like, wait and see what happens. Um, yeah. and yeah, and so we'll send, like Brandon said, we'll send out an email, um, or a message through Patreon to those people who back us, uh, before the next charges hit and uh and sort of say explain this further but basically the gist of it is we're going to wait it out and kind of see how it goes and if it seems like it's not going to be a feasible way to have uh you guys um help fund this project then we will find another way um yeah. we are we were always going to reevaluate the way, the way our patreon works uh, and rewrite it and make sure it's up to date and it's reflecting the way that like we want you to help back us uh, anyway, cu- going into the new year, that's one of the things we do in this week, in this episode off, yeah. uh, time period. And, um, and so this, that, that reevaluating of our, of our, of our Patreon will now include, do we still want to use Patreon? Yeah. And that actually, I think amusingly is when we launched our Patreon last year, the same kind of time. Uh, this is when we do our kind of big business meeting to handle the next year. Mm-hmm, and I've mm-hmm. got, I've got some things that that I really want to start pushing for. Like we've got people that have asked us about merch and I'd love to be able to make that a possibility. We just have to figure out kind of how to do that. And that will likely be separate from any sort of Patreon thing, but will hopefully be something that we're going to be able to start looking at. Yep. Um, And one thing I had said somewhere, uh, and I don't know if it was a thing that you even saw, Brandon, but I want to, I was talking about how we had sort of going into last year, we had talked about uh, structuring our episodes in a more formal way, doing yeah. uh, brainstorming episodes and game storming episodes. And I, I like that. And I think we just need to even roll harder into having different formats or having different um, episode chunks. And like, I really yeah. want to do more stuff with um, user feedback. I want to open up a system. I, I know a lot of other podcasts that do this where they can, where you guys can record yourselves or send us questions questions in email format and send it in and then we can play that audio and we can talk about your your questions and deal with the specifics of what things that you guys are interested in hearing about more yeah and so if you have ideas for types of structures or types of episodes that you would like to see definitely hit us up um this is an ongoing evolving project when we started it up it was just kind of hey we're doing this thing and since then, our goals and thoughts and focuses on it have transformed and changed in a billion different ways. <laughs> oh boy, have they ever. Oh my gosh. I mean, like, I am actually currently sitting at my computer with a copy of Pasión de las Pasiones in physical form right next to me, which is the weirdest yeah. thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so things have 
been different. So we want to make sure that we are providing the best possible podcast we can for the community that we have, which is such an amazing community. Yep. 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 And I want to just continue uh, reaching out and communicating with you guys and letting you uh, or getting in touch with you, hearing from you and help letting, letting our listeners help guide the content of this show so that we are always making the best show that you are interested in listening to. And so unfortunately now we've burned through like 10 freaking minutes because we've had all this business to deal with. Do we want to do the game jam business at the top or at the bottom? I feel like maybe it makes sense to talk about it right now because our topic kind of dances around it and plays around it. Okay. Let's talk about it now then. Okay. So, uh, we know that you in this community are making tons of games. We have talked to so many people that have made amazing, wonderful games. At some point, I want to actually set down like a weekend and just play all of the games that our amazing community is making. But then we might die. Um, stop, I can roll a con. Uh, I want to play through all my stupid dinosaur games. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, we need to do that. I, did you see I came up with an idea for the third one? I did, and I'm excited for it. I need to write it now. Yeah, that's that's always the problem, isn't it? Uh, so what we wanted to do is put together a game jam that wasn't an enormous amount of work, but is something that you can kind of pick up and play with in little moments of time between family and parties and obligations and stuff like that. Yep, because... And also, well, and also because we are stop, hack, and roll, it obviously needs to be a game jam that involves game hacking. Absolutely. And so the idea that I pitched to Brandon, uh, which has, uh, has uh, I think, settled into a nice concept, is um, I was thinking about single mechanic games, yeah. like, like Dread, like uh, Lasers and Feelings, games that primarily have one mechanic and whenever you need to do something in the game you do that one mechanic and then it tells you what has happened afterwards and yeah. and could you just grab a mechanic from some other game and then pull it out and use that mechanic by itself as a yeah, mechanic I, for a full game so could you like for example grab just the 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 spiral the health spiral out of 7th C could you just grab a um, one move format from powered by the apocalypse could you grab just the stress track from fate could you just grab um i, I don't know <laughs> running out of examples here but like uh could you just grab simple <laughs> things like that and 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 turn and, and make a game based around one mechanic that just does one thing really cool in a new and inventive way like reinterpret that game mechanic in some unique way and and move forward with that as a micro game yeah and I, we have no idea what's going to come out of it uh, <laughs> but we know that there will be some amazing ideas put together. We're not looking for anything hefty or big. Uh, it does probably need to be written out so that we can receive mm -hmm. it. Uh, but yep. we're talking like I don't I don't want to put like a, a hard minimum or a hard maximum on it, but we're talking a couple of pages max, I would think. Just because yeah, so I think a mechanic if it's one mechanic, it's hard to fit it's hard to make it stretch beyond that, I guess. Yeah, so what uh, what I would like to see is um what is the mechanic that or what is the game that you took a mechanic from? What yeah. mechanic was it? Maybe either the actual text of the mechanic or just a reference to the mechanic in whatever game it's from. And then the and then just the text of like here is the game 
Uh, yeah. and it could be probably about one or two pages. Um, because yeah, we're, I'm thinking, uh, that kind of, uh, lasers and feelings scale of game. But if you want to yeah. go big and you can make a big work on one mechanic, man, go to town. Yeah. Cool. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, um, and and we're kind of intentionally leaving it a little vague because for this one because we don't know how much time people are going to have and yeah. uh, and also it's kind of a weird thing um, from a uh, a game jam standpoint uh, administratively the it will go live the day that you receive this episode um, you can start working in, immediately um, and then I was thinking that because our next episode will go up on the ninth. Um, if everyone gets their games in by the second, that will give us yeah. a week to read all the games and talk about and think about, and then also record the episode, yeah. um, for the ninth, uh, with enough time. So you have until the beginning of the next year yeah, to submit your game. And, um, and depending do- on how many we get, we might go through all of them. We might, uh, just talk about a couple depending upon like what things look like. And uh, so the way to submit those games will be to uh, email it, the text of the game, or a link to a shared Google Drive or whatever you want to do, uh, to gamejam at tophackandroll.com. Uh, and in the future, if this goes well, we would love to do more game jams. Uh, yeah. This seems uh, like and a I know that you- loves making games, so it's perfect. Yeah, and I I think these like especially because some people I know are working through their 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 they're slogging through their lengthy heartbreaker game that someday they'll finish. Yeah, taking a break to pause and do a stupid mini game uh, can be helpful to get those creative juices flowing. And I know that a lot of times I've mm-hmm. done some game jam and then come out of it with a really great idea of like uh, a new way to deal with some problem I was having in the bigger game I was writing. Yeah, I think the second best thing I ever did for Pasión de los Pasiones was write Luchadoraton. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so do that. So yeah, and I know Brandon and I had talked about some ideas that we had for the Game Jam, so we will probably both have a game uh, to submit as well. Yeah, mine's going to be PBTA. And then, uh. Uh, we'll, <laughs> unsurprisingly, we yeah. will find some way to collect all these games. Maybe I'll build them into a little PDF or I'll find someone to lay out um, a nice PDF for everybody of all the games and then we'll release them back to all the viewers. Yeah. And you know, if, if you make a game and you're like, nah, man, I got to control and own this game, then yeah, you control and own this game. You are the author of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So James, you said that Mm -hmm. this game has to have a single mechanic. Yes. What's a mechanic? Uh, let's have a discussion about, about like essentially core mechanics Mm-hmm. And why and how would different core mechanics have an effect on how games are played? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, a really good way to define a mechanic is a person who fixes a car. Yeah. Um, they'll often be wearing kind of rugged <laughs> clothes and they have wrenches. Yeah. Okay, that's bad. Yeah, oh, to Um, clarify, these are games with a single mechanic. So one of the players can be a mechanic, the GM can be a mechanic, but you can't have more (laughs) than one. All right, ignoring that that (laughs) stupid bit, um, I was actually going to say that... It can't be mechanics and mechanized infantry. It has to be mechanic and mechanized infantry. I think that either looking at the structure of um, a move in Apocalypse World 
okay. or a stunt in fate. Those okay. are great examples of what I mean by a mechanic. It is because both of those things essentially say when a thing occurs in the narrative or because of a thing of the way that my character is, I yeah. can do another thing. Okay. And so in D&D, that is like, I am a ranger. So when I go to attack uh, a goblin, I roll a d20. Oh, see, I was viewing this as even more general. That mm-hmm. uh, D&D, for example, has a core mechanic of when you want to do something, you add a bonus, you roll a 20-sided die, and you have to hit a target number. Okay, I can see that. But it's still like a when you need to take an action, roll, do this thing, and this That's thing. That's true. And then as a result, here is the explanation of the result. Yeah. So I guess you could say that a mechanic kind of boils down to uh, when... When you are trying to do something in the game or when you are doing something in the narrative. Yeah. The game mechanic is the thing that says how the, how successful or unsuccessful are you at that thing and and then what happens as a result. Right. Well, we might want to separate a little bit resolution mechanics from narrative mechanics. Because Yeah, I but I think that I think that it's I I think that it's not I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. Because even something like Powered by the Apocalypse, like a move in Powered by the Apocalypse, where the implication is that the character, you have described yourself narratively doing something, and so the results of the role and the move are more about how do people react to it, or how does the world react to it, assuming you are successful. In that case, you're still asking the question, how successful am I? The answer is always just very successful. Right, it's how does it resolve yeah. In the social milieu the afterwards, yeah. rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. do I hit the goblin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I buy that. I buy that. Basically, a mechanic is the machine that you pump narrative or intent into, <laughs> and finding out comes out. Yeah. So what I was kind of interested in doing is doing a little bit of a hodgepodge episode mm-hmm. where we look at some of the games that we love and look at some of the games that uh, are kind of core to the hobby and say, how do their core mechanics influence where the story goes? Okay. That sounds Uh, good to me. So like kind of let's start with the granddaddy, right? Uh, D and D most people have played it's, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's by a company wizards of the coast. Uh, (laughs) and I feel like I have to mention it just in case, uh, But the core mechanic of that game is when you want to do an action for almost anything, you are going to be looking and finding a number that is related to your skill in that action. You're going to be looking at a number related to your physical qualities, and then you're going to be rolling a 20-sided die. Mm -hmm. If you hit a specific number, then you succeed at the action, and if you don't, you fail at the action. Yeah. And on a 20, you are either definitely successful or especially successful. And in some groups, depending upon home ruling, on a 1, you're unsuccessful or you look like an idiot. Yeah. But I believe that is house rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the core of that is 
that Dungeons and Dragons is the mechanics of the of Dungeons and Dragons are there as a oh an effectiveness system essentially yeah that you're saying I'm trying to do this thing and so I'm going to run this mechanic to see how effective I am and right. that includes a big the 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 d twenty part of the mechanic is the here is the ra- uh, inherent randomness of the world and chance yeah. and stuff like that. And then there is the physical attribute, which is because of the way I am, I get a mm-hmm. plus one or a plus two or whatever on this roll. And then you kind of go out from there. Like uh, if it's a skill because of the way I am and because of the way I've trained, I get another bonus or yeah. because I'm using this type of tool to help me in this action, I get another bonus. And so it's sort right. of, it, it kind of tries to think through the mechanical ways in which effectiveness in the real world is laid out and then adds in some chance and then sets a difficulty bar for you to hit and then you roll and do the math. Exactly. But also worth noting base attack bonus and, uh, different saves like will save or whatever uh those are also just skill checks Mm -hmm. we just call them base attack bonus but your base attack bonus is a skill it functions almost the exact same way once you hit the mechanical level uh yeah i was gonna say and then in the new in in fifth edition for example um it's i just wanted to point out advantage or disadvantage where uh with advantage you roll 2d20 and then you choose the higher number, which yeah. is kind of saying because you have advantage in this situation, we are reducing the chance chunk of the effectiveness equation. Right. Uh, and what's interesting with this system is that it does give you very concrete ideas of what things of how things work. So if mm-hmm. you have a masterwork longsword, so you've got a plus one to hit, you are five percent more likely to hit because you have that. Yeah. Additionally, any person of any level of skill or experience or anything, uh, 5% of the time is able to do something. Yeah. I think another thing that's important to bring up about the system is that because it is inherently interested in that effective effectiveness sort of equation... Where it starts, where the mechanic picks up is when you declare that you are attempting to do a thing. So you're not saying I've done this. You're saying I'm attempting to do this thing. Let's run the effectiveness equation and see how effective I am. And then if you are sufficiently effective, then it's the game establishes that you have done that thing and the mechanic stops. It doesn't yeah. try to tell you the fallout usually of that thing. Um, there may be a weapon or a, a spell that have ongoing effects, but that but it only tells you what is happening in the game insofar as you have achieved a cre- the creation of that effect. Yeah, and depending narratively upon what you are doing, there might be something that happens immediately after. Like if you are jumping across a ravine trying to catch onto the edge and you fail... You're probably falling down that ravine. Yes. If you're picking a lock and you fail, you just failed. And so, but it is not. If there's no threat right there, then you can just do it again. Yeah, and it's not interested in saying um, if. So, if you are trying to leap across a chasm and you fail to make the jump check, you have are you are falling. 
The game yeah. is not interested in telling you what is happening now that you are falling. It is just interested in telling you now you are falling. Yeah. And so the, the onus of driving that story forward, because it doesn't even tell you really what falling means. Well, it has a separate system for falling. There is another mechanic for falling. I mean, well, so there is a mechanic. So there is a system for jumping. Yes. And it tells you how effective you are at jumping. If you yeah. fail the jump and are now falling, the next time the mechanic will pick up the system is when you hit the ground. Yes, that's true. And you take damage. There is no falling mechanic as far as I'm I swear as far as I know. Uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong. There are in 3.5, you fall a certain amount of uh spaces a turn. Okay, but that's sort of a that's not a, a that's a dis- I guess there's maybe there's another type of mechanic that I would call like a descriptive mechanic. That's sort of just that's that's a more of a rules of the universe thing than a than a mechanical system. So with that kind of uh, mechanic, you get some really core assumptions about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that 5% of the time, for anybody doing anything, they're going to be successful. Yeah. Which is a little crazy, and is maybe based on some GM fiat, mm-hmm. but the rules mm-hmm. is written, a child can attack a dragon... And hit 5% of the time. And yeah. when they do that, they will get a crit. It also it also has a weird assumption that if you take like if you take a masterwork sword that has yeah. a, like a plus four bonus or something like that. Well, that a, would be a magical sword, James. Okay, Please. whatever. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, <laughs> a magical sword with yeah. a plus four bonus. And you hand well, no, because I don't want to do I don't want to bring magic into this. So what would a masterwork okay. sword be? Masterwork sword just gives a plus one bonus. Okay, so if you if you take a masterwork sword with a plus one bonus, yeah, then if you give the assumption that is if you give that masterwork sword to someone who is a novice sword fighter, yeah, who has who has the the uh, correct um, skill set to use a sword, but is not good at it, yeah, um, and you take it and give that masterwork that same masterwork sword to a master sword fighter. They are getting the same mechanical bonus from the sword. Oh, yeah. Even if they do not have proficiency in the sword, they still get the plus one masterwork bonus. I guess so they, they I, might I have I, like a minus five or whatever because they have zero skill in the thing. But that minus five will become a minus four. Yeah, I guess that might make sense if you're saying that that masterwork bonus is because of the quality of the sword. But yeah. I still feel like a person who is a masterful swordsman will get more will get more out of a masterwork sword than a novice would because they'd be able to take advantage of the better quality of the sword. Right. Well, there's and, also plenty of items that give you a plus two if you have that item. Yeah. Uh, and like Thieves' Tool is a little bit of a unfair one because thieves tools are for disabled device and a lot of the games have that as the one thing you can't do if you're not one of the few things you can't do if you're not trained in it uh like so there's i think it's a little bit it's that was a bad example because like obviously you could say oh well the uh, master swordsman will have a bigger skill bonus than a person but comparing a master swordsman using a good sword and a masterwork sword then they, they're they only getting an extra plus one bonus. Yeah, which is a 5% bonus, no matter what, for anybody. And so they're saying that the the only difference between, if you compare 
a both a, a, a novice and a master and a master swordsman using a a basic sword versus both those people using a masterwork version of that sword, they're getting the same plus one bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Which feels a little wrong to me. Yeah, it feels a, definitely feels a little bit weird. Uh, you would think that, you know, that there. I mean, like with magic, there's other questions. Yeah, but, but also it seems think, a little strange. I think we're getting a little bit off the point now. But like, but I think where where I want to come back to talking about how that works narratively yeah. is that it it is. D&D, the mechanics in D&D are primarily not interested in telling you how the narrative is going to play out. They're only interested in efficacy. And right. so after in that moment after you have failed your skill jump, your skill check for your jump, and yeah. uh, you know that you have failed because you were not effective enough to, at jumping to make the jump, and you know that because of the way the rules are described, the description, the, the descriptive rules of the game work, you know how many turns you have until you will hit the ground, and then there will be another uh, falling or uh, absorbing damage efficacy roll uh, yeah. when you hit the ground. But there's no narrative implications to that other than that you are falling. Right, you're um, not on the ground, so you are falling. The game is not telling you. Is my character panicking? Is my character? Uh, uh, how much time do my people have? How like do I have butterflies in my stomach? That sort of stuff. Yeah. Am I seeing my life flash before my eyes? Those are narrative things left to the GM or the players to describe. Exactly. The game mechanic is just not interested in that. Yeah. Uh, additionally, it means the way the mechanics are set up in D and D, and this goes a little bit beyond the base core mechanic, but combat is done by hitting a thing repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And wearing down its health in a way that it doesn't lose any ability by being more hurt. And like yeah. what its health is, is kind of a a broad term. Uh, a lot of that yeah. is ability to dodge a weapon and things like that. Uh, Gary Gygax himself a, said that. You are largely a static entity until the moment in which you are not conscious anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And I think that that, I think what I want to do now is kind of hop mechanics from D&D to Fate, actually. Okay. Because this draws, like, a really huge difference between those two systems. Mm-hmm. That in D&D, you are hitting a thing until it's done. Yes. And in Fate, if you want something to be done, the best thing to do instead is to create a bunch of advantages and then hit it kind of once. Am I right? Yeah, in oh, that? um, it can be. Okay. Gosh, is is stress in fate really hard to explain? Okay. <laughs> um. So, uh, like, and, and I'm not sure that I have interpret entirely interpreting this correctly. Okay. But stress in fate is more like plot resilience than it okay. is anything else. And so it's saying because when you lose, when you run out of stress in yeah. fate, you do not. Your character isn't dying. Like, your character isn't unconscious. You've just lost narrative control of your character. And so what you are looking for in combat with another with another play uh, with a, with an npc or uh, an enemy or whatever yeah what you are looking to do is not to kill them what you're looking to do is remove their narrative control right because once their narrative control is gone then you, you have can, for control. example kill them kill them <laughs> yeah yeah 
So when you are attacking someone in fate, you are rolling your your set of of fudge dice, which is the yeah. chunk of the equation that is the randomness. And then you are adding in your bonus from whatever attack skill you're using. Um, and that can be your shooting skill or your physical skill or whatever skills you have in your version of fate that you're playing that you're using your sword skill, for example. Um, and then if you have equipment or stunts or something that would give you an extra bonus for the sword you're using or because you're a master swordsman or whatever, there's that part of the chunk of the equation. Um, and, and then you can also use aspects to spend fate points to say, because of the way the world is, um, in, in kind of, so actually this is really interesting because in D and D there's a, yeah. there's a very static, like the rules say here is the way the world is in this box. And yes. because of the way the world is here is the equation. Here is your efficacy equation. But in fate, you get to change that efficacy equation because you can change the way the world is because the way the world, if there is a fire going on somewhere yeah. in, a, in a room, D and D doesn't care because it says essentially you are still a swordsman do your sword thing. But if right, but in fate, if you can make the justification that that fire is narratively important, then it can change your efficacy equation. Right, and the D and D also has some modifiers and things like that. Sure, that, that is I'm selling it less codified short. and more GM fiat, and which so, means you're doing some of the same like justification and saying, "Oh, I have the high ground, so I should have a plus one." Yeah, and the GM and might go, so, "Yeah, okay." A lot of what you were talking about was so you can there are two the two ways you take advantages of aspects in fate are either you spend fate points to okay. tag an aspect and yeah. and get that plus one from it, or if someone prior to your attack or you prior to your attack has created an aspect by like for example setting the room on fire, then there is an aspect that has a free tag on it. Yes. And then you can just take that. And so one method of dealing with combat quickly, if that's what you're looking to do, is to have everyone on the team set do those sort of create an advantage action to create yeah. a whole bunch of ad- aspects that have free tags on them and then have one person with a high skill uh, do the attack and tag all of those advantages. And you right. can tag all those aspects because then they will get a whole bunch of bonuses to their attack and then those presumably then they'll succeed with a huge um, difference in their role from the defender. And then those the difference becomes the, da- the stress damage that the, the defender has to deal with. And if they can't absorb and take consequences sufficient to deal with that narrative attack, then they have they lose narrative control of their character. Right. So basically what we're looking at with fate is you have two kinds of roles, one to create advantages and then one to take advantage of those advantages. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more, there's a lot because, because fate is sort of like splitting the difference between, um, D and D, which is, which is saying here is the way the world is in this box. Here's your efficacy equation yeah. and a game like some new hippie indie game. That's only interested in narrative. Um, <laughs> It is sort of saying, here is our middle ground of this is what the efficacy equation looks like, but you can do lots of things to change that efficacy equation. And right. by creating advantages and or creating aspects, 
that play into the efficacy equation because you are saying they are narratively relevant. Yeah. Okay. Because you're adding a plus one, a plus zero, or a minus one, you're going to more or less average out at where your stat is. Yeah. And with D&D, you're going to almost never kind of, like, you're not going to, you're, you're just as likely to roll at the extremes mm-hmm. as you are to roll at the 9 or 10 result. Yeah, and then also specifically because we're talking about aspects give you a plus 1, yeah. If you if you tag an aspect or get a free invoke, you get a plus one on your roll. And because yeah. you are talking about a swing of like plus four to minus four, that that plus one from that aspect is actually pretty big in terms of the way it affects uh, statistically the roll. Versus right. a plus one in D and D has a lot less of effect because right. they're saying there for that efficacy equation, the the randomness is very important. And then. Yeah with a small modifier based off of your skill and the way things are. And in fate, they're saying here is a more standardized, uh, trending towards nothing, uh, randomness system. And then you have some skills, which affect in a large way, but also the way things are because you can control the way things are or which way things are, are relevant, uh, in this, for this role, it does that. Right, so Fate's mechanic has a larger basis on your skill and what the world is doing over mm-hmm. core randomness. Yeah, and also sort of in a trending towards being interested in narrative because, um, so when you, so that you have your typical attack and defend uh, actions, yeah. but you also do have the create advantage and overcome uh, yes. actions as well which are things that can primarily play into that narrative so if you set a world on, if you set the room on fire by creating an advantage well now the room is on fire and because that is a thing that is relevant that you can use later on that is a thing that should play into your narrative because by doing these tags by invoking aspects you are saying these are things that are narratively relevant and that's why i get to use them in my mechanic in my efficacy equation then um, you are saying these are these are narratively interesting things, right? True. And if you do an attack that lights someone on fire, that hangs on by creating an aspect to say that person is on fire, and then you can use that. I mean, it, there is a on fire mechanic for for uh, for D and D. I'm sure. Yeah, there but is. This is a way where you can say this is very important, and because because the the plus one bonus from that aspect is much more is, is is pulling a bigger chunk of the efficacy equation than it would in in D by just doing like d4 damage or whatever once every turn or something like that um it's a d6 damage per turn d6 damage per turn it's slightly just 3.5 so that's just but again it's something like that where it's just doing damage and pushing them towards being passed out in, yeah. in in fate it's it's a thing that you can use to say when i attack them they're they're not taking more damage because they're on fire they're just being distracted because they're on fire yeah. or they're not going to see me sneaking because they're on fire um it plays m- into m- the way that you do things and the way you, that you interact with the person even if you're not talking about a physical interaction if you're talking about a social interaction if you're trying yeah. to scare them or trick them they're not going to be paying attention to your tricks because they're on fire yeah that's very um, true and it, and so that in a narrative sense helps if you are trying to to lie to someone in D&D who is on fire, 
they <laughs> will still be just as good at identifying your lie as if they are not on fire. They will just also be taking damage every turn. Yes, very true. A, a character, an NPC that is on fire in Fate, will be less effective at at catching your lies because you can keep tagging that on fire aspect. Right, assuming that you tag that aspect. Yes, or that you are pumping more uh, free invokes into it, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So the assumption of the Fate world is not that randomness is the core of what happens, but yeah. that skill and the world around you is the core of what happens. It has a more kind of behavioral, predictable path of yeah. why things happen the way they do. And and because you are not always taking the same set of ways thing, if the, if like I keep coming back to this, uh, if the if D and D's efficacy equation is based off of the way things are, that way things are is always pretty static, or yeah. or there is a mechanic that tells you which of the way things are is relevant. And in Fate, you the the agency of the player is what determines which things a what is the way things are, and then b which of the ways thing that things are is relevant to this role. Yeah. Okay. And cool. So you have a lot of control over that as a player. Yeah. Uh, should we hop onto a new game? Sure. Let's talk a little bit about Powered by the Apocalypse. Okay. This is kind of a weird one because it's sort of a broad one. Yeah. Um, because we could talk individually about any specific game, but I think that things have kind of expanded in such a specific way that looking at the mechanic itself can still be an interesting thing. Because everything that we said about D&D can be said about literally any D20 system. Yeah. That exists. I think I think that the way th- I think the place to go if we're going to talk about Apocalypse World is to or powered by the Apocalypse games is to talk about the the move mechanic. Yeah. And how it plays into the waterfall. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, cool. Excellent. So, there's two core kinds of moves, just like Fate has two core kinds of of actions. Four. Fate has four kinds of actions. Okay. Uh, Sorry. And actually, Not relevant. It, it's, and actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, it isn't relevant the way that those work. There's basically, okay. there's basically two kinds of moves. Moves that are just core and prescriptive, that when this happens, this happens. And then moves that have that element of randomness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, think it's inter- do you think it's relevant to give an example of those? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, the drama moves from masks are mm-hmm. a good example of that. Uh, so, it says, like, when you share a moment of weakness, you turn to someone and you ask this question. Yeah. Uh, or even just... Um, uh, because I've been playing Apocalypse World, yeah. uh, second edition, the sex moves, some of the sex moves That's are even just like, when you do this thing, when narratively your characters have sex, this is the result. There's no interaction. Yeah. There's no, there's no asking questions. It's just when you've done this thing, this thing happens. Exactly. Um, every there's, time there's moves, uh, like I think the bull and masks has this move and I think the gun lugger maybe has this move that you just, like, spend a piece of, like, spend history or spend something, and you arrive. You're there. Um, And so, like, something like that allows you to just 
if you meet that requirement and you do that thing, you do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like a kind of move that's a little hard to parse out on its own because like without going into specific move explanations, because it's just sort of when something happens, something happens. Um, mm-hmm. When you have a moment of intimacy with the wizard in urban shadows, uh, it is now harder for you to run away from things in the future. So the second type of move is one that involves a role. Um, and the way that those work is when you do X action, add a number that is generally a stat related to you. It's something that's an intrinsic characteristic of yourself. And roll two six-sided dice. On a 10+, plus, you generally get a complete success. On a 7 to 9, you get a partial success or a success at a cost. And at a 6-, minus, the GM makes a move, which can include you failing, but doesn't necessarily include you failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that move can be an enormous swath of different things. Yeah. Up to okay. and including your character dying with so no I, way to stop it. Can I quickly just, I want to run through why I think that first type of move makes sense in in Power by the Apocalypse in a way that doesn't make sense in the previous two systems. Yeah, feel free. So, and this gets into like, what is the waterfall effect of, of moves in Powered by the Apocalypse yeah. a little bit? And so what that is, is that Powered by the Apocalypse games are interested in the narrative of the game that you are telling, the conversation. And yes. so when, so basically they're, the goal of everything in Powered by the Apocalypse is sort of largely that every time you do anything something that should directly lead to the next action. And so if I choose to defend someone, well, then if I succeed now, I'm taking the hit that they were previously taking. So then we have to do the taking a hit roll and so on and so on. And then that will take, and then I'll take damage and then that will make me feel bad. And then I'll lash out at somebody and then they'll do a stupid thing and so on and so on down this way. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there are the moves like that last type that you described, which is sort of the efficacy equation. Um, It's a little bit more... I see where you're going, and I'm excited. It's a little bit more interested in um, how, how, like, how... So, because because Apocalypse World games are interested in that narrative, it's it's not in the game's interest to, most of the time, to say you fail. Yeah. They want you to succeed. So, we are now truly into an an efficacy, like, sort of a how effective at doing the thing, how effective was doing the thing that you did at reaching the goals you were trying to hit. Yeah. And so we have those. That's kind of like the closest thing to those moves. That's the closest to the 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 skill roll in fate or the the attack or something in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um but because we are trying to always have actions trigger other actions, we need more actions. And because yes. we don't always want players to be rolling all the time, we do need these sort of like filler type moves, which are just because you did this thing narratively, this thing happens every yeah. time. And that fills in so that in theory, if everything is sort of singing correctly, you will start a game of a Powered by the Apocalypse game session. The GM will describe a set of actions that will then trigger the players to react to them in some way. And then it will just go on from there. Yeah. That there will always be a next thing to do, a next role to make. 
Uh, yeah. It's not like it doesn't have the D and D problem of the the rogue picking the lock and failing, and then everyone going. I guess we just try this again. Yeah, I guess I try that again. Um, so like if you are looking at urban shadows, and I'm going to use this just because I know the the intimacy move of the wizard relatively well. Okay. Um, wizard. Y- what? I don't think that. I think you said two different things there. Did I? <laughs> you, you said. Urban Shadows and the Wizard. Yes, the Wizard wizard from Urban Shadows. Yeah. Um, And his intimacy move is when you have a moment of intimacy with the Wizard, uh, you have a minus one for, I think a minus one ongoing to run away. So what can happen is you have uh, characters that are in the middle of a fight or something like that. They run away. They end up in an awkward situation. They're pushed together. They have a moment of intimacy. And then in the future, the person that they've been, that the Wizard has been intimate with has a minus one to run away. So next time they're in trouble, they're going to be thinking back to the connection to the wizard and going, ah, oh, crap, I've got a minus one on this. And so it discourages the wizard from getting involved with people and having intimate moments with people because it means that the people that the wizard is involved with are going to die, mm. which means people are going to then get involved with the wizard, get into trouble blame the wizard and pull the wizard back into trouble. And, uh, and the reason why that's interesting. Yeah. Beca- and I think the reason why it does it. So I want to jump back or step back a little bit and just say, so if D and D is primarily interested in that combat mechanic, yeah. when you are not doing combat in D and D, it assumes that either the, the non combat or non mechanical, like non skill based skill role based stuff is either unimportant mm-hmm. or you are going to just describe it. Yeah. And it's not interested in engaging with that at all. Right. In People fa- talk all the time about having a D and D session where they didn't roll a die a single time and they loved yeah. it and it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And fate is sort of, again, splitting the difference a little bit. Like it's interested in that stuff, but it assumes that largely you are going to control that narrative and then it gives right. you some tools to do that. Yes. Powered by the apocalypse games for the most part are interested in controlling everything. Yeah. And so it's important that everything that you might do or that at least the large, like depending on what type of game we're talking about, which powered by the Apocalypse game we're talking about, uh, a certain set of actions will always have a move that will trigger in some way. Yeah. If you're playing within genre and the game was written well, you're going to trigger the roles like it's going to happen. It's almost impossible for it to not happen at some point if you're playing within genre. And if you are playing a Powered by the Apocalypse game and you're playing wildly off genre, then there are lots of tools the GM has to push you back towards a move. Exactly. And then and the moves will hook you in and drive you towards. I wonder, I wonder, this is just a random uh, thought process. I wonder okay. how long you could go basically simulating a Powered by the Apocalypse game where there were no players. Like, if you just pushed a little bit as a GM and then had a character take an action, how how long that waterfall could go? I wonder okay, if there's a way... Oh, I wonder if there's a way that you could rate that and then... <laughs> this is this is me going into big data mind again. Okay. Uh, universe brain. Um, but if, like... If, if the typical waterfall in masks Snowball, is, technically is snowball in masks is four or five actions before it sort of peters out. Yeah. Is it longer or shorter in apocalypse world? Is that longer or shorter in, 
in uh in urban shadows like how long is that snowball yeah in each of those systems before it peters out well part of that also has to do with how long you allow some downtime between snowballs between mm-hmm. between saying it's a new snowball so like someone attacks somebody someone else defends someone uh takes a powerful blow and because of that they shout at their ally which involves a provoke action because of that provoke action that person uh does the action and then gets hit themselves in their attack and has to take a powerful blow they freak out and leave the scene then there might be a little bit of space of time but because of those previous actions hero a is going to go to hero b and comfort and support and that comfort and support is almost definitely going to activate the drama move of when you reveal a weakness or vulnerability uh so like that is like what 10 11 different roles or moves mm-hmm. but with a little bit of space between uh a couple of them at the end but like a combat in masks can legitimately not have a time that a role isn't on the horizon yeah if people are taking if people are taking hits and choosing the option to provoke their teammates there will always be a role that is obvious next now i want to sit down and map out map this all out in like a big flow chart and then rate <laughs> apocalypse world games based off of how long their potential snowball is <laughs> uh yeah i mean like you kind of could and where things fall apart a little bit is that in PBTA, you are advised to follow the narrative pretty hard. The move directly engage a threat, for example, is for threats. And this is actually something I've been GMing a little bit wrong in Protean City, and I need to kind of play with. When someone isn't a threat, you don't roll to directly engage them. You just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That was the thing I ran into in Apocalypse World, which is that... Um, when my character, one of my players, wanted to take a sniper shot at a raider who was approaching their town, yeah. but who was, or no, they were, the, the raiders had stopped and were setting up a machine gun, yeah. and he wanted to take a sniper shot, and all the moves were like, when, like, it would trade fire and stuff like that, and I realized after the fact that what had happened was, he was attacking an enemy who was largely unaware that he was there, he didn't need to roll anything, I yeah, should no, have just done harm to the raider. Yeah, he killed that dude. And then the other raiders reacted, and then you're going to be exchanging fire. Yeah. Um, Which is wild. Like, that is so completely different from D&D. Like, D&D has coup de grace if someone's below zero health. And that's a little different system. uh, That's a little different addition to addition. But even that is wildly different from just having a situation someone says... I do this thing, and the GM goes, yup. Yeah, there's no efficacy mechanic there at all. Yeah. You're just effective. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that is all that you need to do. Like, if uh, if Puck, who has super strength and super speed in Protean City, decided to foot race somebody for some reason that didn't have any powers, he would win. Period, no question. It would be silly to roll. Yeah. 
And then at and, the end, maybe he'd have a victorious celebration and we could start rolling into a bunch of moves from there. But the reason why it's in, in it's the reason why it's in Powered by the Apocalypse, a Powered by the Apocalypse games interest to have those things where it just says there's no need to run an efficacy rule here. Yeah, you're just effective is because those things typically then trigger a new snowball. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like there are probably situations in Apocalypse World where someone taking the sniper shot from a 100 miles away uh, is not does not have an interesting snowball after it. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine those would be relatively few and far between because if nothing else, a character dying is a golden opportunity, which is something that GMs are instructed when you have a golden opportunity, make a move. Yeah. And so and- even if there's one person out in the desert that gets sniped, that is still a golden opportunity to make something interesting happen. Yeah, and this kind of gets back to the the genre bacon episode we talked about way back in the day. Yeah. But, like, the primary thing that D&D is trying to do with its efficacy mechanic is tell the story of how effective at achieving their goal the players are. Yeah. And in in masks, that's actually like a prime... So, actually, that's very interesting. The primary interest of the mechanics is to is about how good the players are at yeah. doing the things they're trying to do. The primary goal of the mechanics in Powered by the Apocalypse is to hook players back into the snowball. Yeah, absolutely. And so and I it think- doesn't mind. Like, So it would be totally against the interest of the mechanics in D&D to have a time where the ranger just like makes the bow shot because yeah. it's primarily interested in how effective everyone is. But in, in, in Apocalypse World is not interested in, in saying how effective you are, which is why you most of the time just ex- just succeed at the things you are doing. It's interested in hooking you into the, the snowball. And so if the best way to do that is to just let you succeed without a roll at all, or even a move, then yeah. it just lets you do that. Yeah. And then there's also the whole mechanic of misses. And misses are a... F- where the GM makes a move. And misses are a wonderful opportunity to hook somebody back into the snowball. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you miss and take a powerful blow in masks, then you're doing a roll and you're in the snowball again. If you roll a miss and suddenly you're falling and you need to uh, unleash your powers in masks or defy danger in Dungeon World or act under fire in Apocalypse World, then you're back in that snowball again. And so basically what the GM is doing is modifying how out of control the game is, which is why that line of play to find out what happens is kind of the big PBTA ideal. Yeah. I don't know where I want to go with this exactly, but I want to loop this back around to single mechanic games. Okay. Because that's what our game jam is about. Yeah. And so I want to talk about all out of bubblegum. Okay. Yeah. Which is a game where you have one stat bubblegum bubblegum and you physically, you're encouraged to physically have bubblegum and that when you try, and so in a broad sense, it is the efficacy system or the efficacy equation in all out of bubblegum is you are rolling it whenever you try to do something, either mundane or kicking ass, you are rolling a D10. If you are trying to do something mundane, you have to roll then you have to make sure the number that you roll is equal to or less than the number of remaining bubblegum sticks you have. And if you, and if it is, then you are six, then you succeed. 
if you fail, you lose the stick of bubblegum. So you trend towards... So worth noting, I just I want to say real quick before we get too far into it, uh, All Out of Bubblegum is a uh, little kind of micro sort of game uh, freely available online by Jeffrey Grant and Michael Sullivan. I was talking about the efficacy mechanic not really having a having a skill chunk of it is purely just or in a, you know in a sense the amount of bubblegum sticks you have is the skill modifier. Okay, it's, yeah. It's it's just the 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 sticks of bubblegum represent the way the world is portion of the efficacy me- mechanic and it changes over time based off of how well you've succeeded or failed. Right. And so like your skill as a character doesn't really factor into it. So if you say I'm a surgeon versus I'm a cop. Yeah. Uh, maybe the GM will make some determinations, but rules as written, they shouldn't be. No. And the game is largely trying to trend you away from mundanity, mundanity, um, the banal is trying to trend you away from the banal and towards kicking ass. And so it's not in the game's interest to ever let you be good at doing mundane things. Yeah. Except that you have to start that way because ultimately you are supposed to be trying to do mundane things. Exactly. Cause you want to, you want to start things out that you're kind of doing the normal day to day stuff, but this is an action movie. So you should be ending things going wild and crazy at the end of it. Yeah. And so f- for for this single mechanic, it's actually less of a mechanic about you as a person. It's a mechanic about the game. Yeah, the it's game the pacing is, of the game. It's a is a it's a, exclusively a pacing mechanic to pace the types of actions you are taking in a certain trending direction towards the way the game would like you to end. Yeah, and amusingly, the game eventually kind of <laughs> finishes up to the point that you literally cannot do anything mundane mundane and so you eventually stop interacting with the mechanic yeah because i i don't know about you but if if you have a moment where your stat with your you're all out of bubble gum your stat is zero there's literally no reason to roll ever again no you don't i think you um blah blah there's no longer to attempt any kind of non-ass kicking activities you will just always fail um if you you automatically you automatically succeed at any ass kicking related activities, um, you are an unstoppable ball of un, of bubblegumless fury. Um, when someone else, the only time you roll, uh, once you are out of bubblegum, yeah, the only time you roll is if you are directly attacking some other player. Okay, in which case you just roll the d10, and if they roll a d10, you are knocked out. Okay. Yeah, so, like, essentially at that point, it just becomes past the stick. Yeah. Which is okay, if, because you've set up <laughs> you've set up this situation that is a wild and crazy action move. I love this. If they roll a 1 through 9, they've only succeeded in making you, if possible, even more angry. Oh my gosh, we need to play this game sometime soon. Yeah, I want to play All Out of Bubblegum with shots bubblegum of shots. bubblegum vodka. Yes, me too. <laughs> so, let's, let's do that. Yeah, definitely a plan. A so that's an interesting, maybe a 2018 plan. So that is an interesting uh, mechanical <laughs> system where in all of the previous systems that we've talked about, the mechanic is primarily interested in how effective you, the player, are at doing things. Yeah. And the, me- and the single mechanic in All Out of Bubblegum is primarily interested in where are you in the timeline of this game? 
and are how and and so how far along this path trending towards just wild absurdity are you yeah because theoretically as you're playing the game you should be trying to start the game out by doing uh normal things normal non-ass kicking things and you'll be rolling an occasional miss but for the most part you'll be successful and then as you start to miss because you start off with the ability to miss five percent uh 20 percent of the time because it's a nine or a ten yeah and then as you get more and more out of bubblegum you eventually should be making the change if you're playing in like quote ideal if you're min maxing all out of bubblegum yeah uh you would just shift at the right number and be fighting all the time yeah so i think we are at a time where we should just start to wrap up okay i think you're probably right um that feels like a sort of satisfying ending yeah well because now at this point we are all out of bubblegum yeah and when we're all all out of bubblegum we do content wrap up yep which is, of course, um, the most ass-kicking of activities. Yeah, so think about... Me- think, so hopefully this this conversation of mechanics and the things that mechanics are interested in and the ways that you can approach mechanics... Um, I think I had a thought at the very end there where you could argue that in a way that is not true of D&D, the entirety of the game, of, of any Power by the Apocalypse game, is itself a mechanic to pull you into the snowball. And ah, all of the okay. other mechanics just are there to serve that purpose. So the whole game itself is one single mechanic. Oh, so for my game jam, I can put in Pasión de los Pasiones? Yeah, I think so. Okay, perfect. Uh, but ignoring that. Um, so come up with a single mechanic game. Uh, write it down. Tell us about what mechanic you started with. Tell us how you hacked it. Uh, and submit that game. The email for that, again, is gamejam at stophackandroll.com. I know I personally am going to be writing a single move game. Uh mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of pumped for it because I've had some good, good thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm actually I, I started toying with some ideas, um, playing around with that um, the all out of bubblegum style game where the mechanic is is there as a, ti- a tempo mechanic. Yeah. Um, but using the the death spiral in uh, 7C. Oh, neat. I like it. Uh, so you can if you'd like to contact us about things other than the game jam or actually if you'd like to contact us about the game jam. Uh, hit us up. You can find us both on Twitter at Stop, Hack, and Roll or individually at Dr. Captain Cobalt or at End the Meltdowns. Uh, you can find our episodes, links to the games we've worked on and uh, other random stuff on stophackandroll.com. Which we sorely need to update and maybe we'll be doing in that off week. Yep. Um, you can also email us at James or Brandon at stophackandroll.com or now for this window game jam at stophackandroll.com mm-hmm. please uh please please rate and review us on itunes uh or wherever people who have android uh listen to podcasts um those reviews uh help us feel really good about ourselves but also help you uh tell us how you feel about the show and help other people like you find our show we make this podcast with the support of our wonderful patreon backers backers like troy pitchelman Declan Chadbourne, Rob Harvey, Patrick, Anthony Nomorosa, Alice Tobin, Rob Abrazado, Robert Kosick, Blake Ryan, Riverhouse Games, V. Brower, Chad Owen, Jimmy Rogers, Richard Krautz Landry, and Randy Lubin. If you'd like to help support this show and our future shows, check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. 
Um, if you can't support us financially, which is totally fine, uh, the best way for you to support us is to be part of our community. Talk to us on Twitter, stuff like that. But also join our Discord, which you can find at uh, tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. And something I'll point out is there is a maker channel, uh, yes. makerspace channel on the Discord, so that when you are making your uh, single uh, mechanic game, you can come and chat with other people who are probably doing the same thing. Uh, we'll be chatting there about the games that we're working on, and it's a, it's a cool space. Yeah, and there have been tons of things going on, wonderful discussions, all sorts of stuff. Uh, an enormous ongoing Masks game, which I'm so impressed by and cannot wait to dive into, and they've now released the audio from one of their sessions, and I'm so excited to listen to it. Yep. Um, and so... So so here is the mechanic uh, that occurs at the end of our show, which is that when you declare that you've been recording for about an hour and a half, um, you have to say the words. Don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. I just want to make a guy who has who every part of his body is a head. Is there a wizard in Urban Shadows? Yeah, Brian played the wizard in Urban Shadows. Remember what? I don't Multiple remember this times. at all. Yeah, he's uh he's a wizard. It's, I don't think uh, this is right. It's Dresden Files. This doesn't feel right. It's definitely it lying like, to me. It is liter- It is essentially literally Harry Dresden. Why would you lie to me? Why do I not remember Urban Shadows at all? I don't know. We've played multiple <laughs> sessions. We've never played an Urban Shadows session that didn't have the wizard in it.